morning. This is the second service. Y'all, a little sm- y'all, y'all slept in a little bit this morning, right? Second service, so you should be well rested for the day, ready to go with this service. So I have a little bit more energy when it's a good morning. It's a good morning. Like there's some excitement in the air. I'm excited to be at church this morning. We had a phenomenal first service, and I always ask God to do even greater things in the second service as well because I believe that he does exceedingly abundantly what we ask, think, or imagine. Amen? So as we gather here, maybe you're new here to the avenue. Let me echo Pastor James' words and just say welcome home. We're so honored that you're with us this morning, that you chose to be here at our service uh, with us today. On your seat, you'll see an orange card. That is a connect card. Sometime during the service, you can take a moment and fill that out. You can leave it at our next steps table in the lobby. We'd love to exchange that card. We have a gift for you back there, and we'll answer any questions you have or reach out to you on that card this week and get in touch with you at some point. We are excited you're here. Lots going on at the Avenue today. Small groups launch right now, September 1. Come on, put your hands together, celebrate small groups. If you're wondering what small groups are, it's simply a place where we break down what we do on Sundays to, to, to throughout the week. And as we gather throughout the week into a smaller group, a smaller setting, you can build a relationship and community with each other. And so they run twice a year in the fall and in the spring. Our fall semester launches September 1, so you can continue signing up today. There's a QR code in the back. You can scan it. It will take you to the website. You can sign up there, or you can sign up in the back at a, a little square card. It's on your seat as well. Drop that in the box, and your group leader will get in touch with you and get you connected to your group. Make sure you're in a group. Our goal is to have 100% participation from our Sunday morning attendance there in our small groups as well. There is a group for you. Don't do life by yourself. Do it with some people. Amen? Amen. Also going on this week, we have Growth Track, which happens in two weeks. So Growth Track is your next, possibly your next step. It's a place where you discover who the avenue is, what we're all about, what we believe, as well as do some discovery on yourself. So if you're looking to be a member or you just want to learn more about who we are, you can take that membership step there, or you can just do some discovery and ask some questions that maybe you don't feel you have time for here. Ask them there at Growth Track. It happens on the first Sunday night of every month. However, next weekend is Labor Day weekend, so we pushed it till September the 10th. You can sign up online at myavenue.church forward slash growth track, and we'd encourage each person to go to that as well. I'm excited because today we begin a brand new series, which means that last week we ended the series we were in. We had a four-week series called In My Feelings, and I was out last week preaching at another church, and Justin stepped in and did a phenomenal job this uh, past week on A Tale of Two Kings and talked about Saul and David and the trajectories of their life and what happens when you have a heart towards God and one that is not. I encourage you to go back and watch it if you weren't here, but we celebrate him and the great job he did communicating that and the life change that happened through that series as well. But we begin a brand new series today that I am pumped up for. I mean, I am excited for this. I had trouble going to sleep last night, and I had no trouble getting out of bed this morning. That's a good series coming. Like, I don't know if I'll be able to preach as good as I feel, but I feel real good today. I hope I look good. It doesn't matter. I hope I preach good 
because I feel really good about where we're going with what God is doing in our lives. This series is called Miracles, and we're going to unpack the miracles that were only, that only Jesus performed. So there's miracles from the Old Testament that some of the prophets and some of the people did. Then there's miracles in the New Testament that were recorded that others did as well. But this series is specifically going to zone in on miracles that Jesus did. Now hear me, because it's really important to understand what this is about. This series is not so much about the miracle as it is about the man. That is foundational that you need to understand as we walk through it, because this is going to be a little bit of a longer series. This series might go six, seven, eight weeks long. We're not exactly sure, but as we unpack it and pull out, we've got a really good plan, a great idea. I mean, right now I've got eight weeks worth of messages ready to go. That's called ready. And I am fired up for it, and I believe as we unpack them, I want to focus and celebrate on the miracle that happened, but I really want to make sure that we're always focused back towards who the miracle worker is, and the miracle was performed by Jesus. So as we do, I want to pull your focus into that area. I'll give you a little bit of context. In the scripture, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, four gospels. Of those four Gospels, they recorded the life of Jesus from four different perspectives of people that walked with him every day. He was on the earth around 33 and a half years. We have his lifespan. And of those 33 and a half years, we have around 27 to 52 days recorded in the Scripture. I said we have about 27 to 52 days recorded in the Scripture. That's all. So there was a whole lot of time that was not recorded in Scripture that he was doing other things as well. In fact, John wrote in the very last verse of the book of John, his gospel, chapter 20, verse 21, verse 25, he said Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them was written down... I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. We have around 37 recorded miracles in the gospel. But John says, and remember the Bible can't lie because it, it can't exaggerate. And he says, I suppose the world could not hold all the books. He speculates that there's so many miracles that Jesus did that weren't written down and recorded that it would be hard to even capture them and put them into writing. Understand that he was not limited to what was seen and known by men. What's a little side note? In your life, don't live your life so that only what is recorded and seen is what is known. Live your life so that you're still doing the right thing even when nobody's looking. You're still believing. You still have faith. You still have character and reputation and integrity that even when it's not being recorded and somebody's not giving you a shout out on social media and somebody's not patting you on the back, you're still living by faith. You're still living according to the standard of your life, according to God's word. So in this scripture, we understand Jesus did many things uh, that we don't even have record of, but it gives us 37 different unique miracles that we cover. Now, this is not a 37-week series. This will probably be six, seven, eight weeks. But John also wrote in John chapter 20, he said, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. This is a chapter before that, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you, and here's the reason why Jesus did miracles, and this helps us zone in for our foundation. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
and that you, by believing, you may have, per may have life in his name. So he says, here's two reasons why you get to see these miracles and they're recorded. One, that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's for salvation. Every miracle should point you back to see Jesus so that you can believe and put faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins. Secondly, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That after you believed in him, now you can find the purpose for your existence. You can see why you're even alive. You can realize that there's a reason for my existence on this earth, and God will use my life for some good. Let me give you a little bit more foundational pieces here for this series. Every miracle has several things in common. First, they all require a need. If you need a miracle, it starts with a need. And that is a difficult place to be. Everybody wants a miracle. Nobody wants an impossibility. Nobody wants to be walking through miracle territory because that means you're in a tough spot in life. Financially, physically, emotionally, whatever area of your life you're in, you're like, man, I need a miracle right now. You're saying, I can't fix it on my own. I need someone supernaturally to come in and change my circumstance. Being in that space is difficult, yet that is a space we find the people in, in these stories that we unpack, they all require a need. Number two, they all require faith. I've got to be in over my head. Beyond my natural power, I have to have faith. And you'll see in these stories that oftentimes Jesus will say, do you believe that I can do that? He'll say, I'll do it according to your faith. He said, if you have faith that of a mustard seed, which is the smallest, he said, you can believe and do all kinds of amazing things. One time he looked at him at Lazarus' tomb and said, only believe. We understand that faith is at the bottom, and it is required by God in order to see miracles happen. Number three, they all require inclusion, participation on our part. And too many times people want to sit back and be like, okay, God, I need a miracle. Sit down, cross their legs, fold their arms, and wait on God to do something. But show me a miracle in the Bible where God did not invite humans to take part by participation and inclusion. Well, I mean, when, even when Jesus came to the earth, the Holy Spirit came upon the Virgin Mary, and she was with child, but he used a human, Mary, to give birth, Jesus, the Son of God. Well, what about when he called Lazarus out of the tomb? We're going to get to that story at some point. John chapter 11, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus had been dead in the tomb for four days. But what did Lazarus have anything to do? Jesus raised him back to life. Well, oh, Lazarus could have stayed in the tomb. He didn't have to walk out. Jesus gave him an option. Come forth. Lazarus could have been like, man, I don't look good. Would, somebody, would you send somebody in here to give me a makeover before I come out? Jesus, can you send somebody in? I kind of stink. I need a bath. I don't want to make like this big appearance. I, I think God is willing to work through any circumstance, but he's also willing to work with you. He's looking for partnership and inclusion in these things as well. The miracle we're going to unpack this morning is one that is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the only miracle we have recorded by all four Gospel writers.
besides the resurrection. There is importance on this miracle. It's a good miracle to start this series with because it has value that all four felt they needed to write about it and record it, and it was included in the canon of Scripture. Let me give you a little bit of context on it. Jesus has just found out that his cousin has been murdered. John the baptizer has been beheaded, and Jesus is emotionally hurting. As you or I would be at loss, Jesus feels that pain. And the Bible says he goes away to be in a secluded place by himself. And as he does, the crowds gather around and they want to follow him. They want to see him. They want to get near him. And when they do, he doesn't push them away. He receives them with compassion and begins to do signs and miracles and speaking to them. Some scholars believe this is where the Sermon on the Mount came from. Others say it was just other teachings. But in this moment, now Jesus has, he has tried to get away. They won't let him get away by himself. They followed him around. And here is Jesus ministering to people in a moment of pain and sorrow. Out of his pain, out of his sorrow, out of his despair, he's doing something for other people. There's so many like little nuggets of messages in this story. But I thought it might be cool to take a look at this story today, even though Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew 14, Luke chapter 6, John chapter 8, Luke ch John, John chapter 6, Luke chapter 8, all four write about it. I want to take a look at it from an angle and a perspective visually. How many of y'all enjoy watching The Chosen? Any Chosen fans out there? If you're not watching The Chosen, what are you doing with your life? Binge the Chosen. I mean, just get out there and watch it and enjoy it. Hey, check this out. This, this morning, visually, is the story of Jesus feeding 5,000. Can you bring me anything? Surely there's food for someone, even a smaller one. Five loaves of bread.
of mustard seed that the man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden of life. Becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and make their nests in its branches. What a great miracle. What a great scene to visually see exactly, you know, kind of an idea how this played out. Now, you got to understand, Jesus did not have a big marketing team. I don't know that he had a marketing budget. So as he's moving through town, it wasn't like they're getting on your, when you get on your phone and somebody says, uh, you, you get Google ads pop up, or you say the word bread, and then you get bread ads pop up on your phone next time you're on social media. Jesus didn't have, he wasn't using all these means to like let people know, hey guys, I'm coming into your area, Capernaum, Galilee, I'll be there on Saturday, make sure you get big crowds out for my event. He was actually trying to be by himself and get to a secluded place, and yet the crowds followed him and got to this place. And when they did, the towns were not that large. Those towns around that area were around 250 to 800 people per town, and yet we have recorded almost 15 to 20,000 people sitting in this moment. They came from a long ways away. And as they got to this place, we realized they're physically hungry, but Jesus was not only trying to meet their physical need, but their spiritual need, which tells us he's worried about and he's concerned about every need in your life. So he's concerned about to feed you physically and spiritually. Too many times people come to get their need met, they locate and they recognize, but they don't want to see the thing met in their life that God's trying to get to them with. 
He's trying to work on something else, and we're kind of trying to get him to work on this thing over here. As you unpack this miracle series, as we open up, I really want you to open your mind and be, be open to the Holy Spirit to speak into different areas of your life. The first thing you need in your life to see a miracle, I think, if I gave you three keys this morning, the first one would be some excitement. I say, Pastor, excitement, like what does excitement have to do with a miracle? Well, excitement is the spark that gets you there. Because I got to get excited. I got to get enthusiastic about it. And I'll give you the difference. Have you ever met somebody that was boring? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that was plain, dull? You're like, man, would you wake up and just get to enjoying life? And they're like, how you doing? Okay. I'll take coffee. No eggs. Man. You offer me coffee, I'm like, yeah, get some coffee. Like, I can find some passion about a lot of things in life, somebody. I can really find some enthusiasm about some stuff in my life. You've talked to somebody who's boring. Could you imagine if we got up here and we're like, all right, and there's, here, just say this is our small group announcement. Right, here we go. Small groups are happening. Sign up out there. Whatever. If you want to be in one, get in one. Who's signing up for that? Oh, nobody. Nobody. But why do people sign up? Because we add a little bit of spice in life, a little bit of enthusiasm, and it's not fake, and it's not phony, and it's not this thing that's, oh, well, that's just planned. Oh, we work on it, but it's not staged. Listen to me. People say, Pastor, but you, you kind of yell a lot when you speak. You kind of get real excited and animated, and you get a little loud. We can hear you normally. I don't have a problem with you thinking that you can't hear me. It's just my personality and nature. I kind of get excited. You take me to a ball game, ooh, I'm going to have a fun time. I go to the movies and cheer. I have yelled at the movie screen more than once. I'm just a loud, passionate person. I don't do a whole lot in life that's not excited. I get enthusiastic about things. But listen, you give me the gospel, the book of life, and ask me to talk about Jesus above all those other things, that passion comes out. Why? Because he put it there and because I've had an experience with him. And I have no problem at all letting you know how excited I am because I also understand that, yes, it's easier for you to understand that if I'm thrilled about it, you might be too. Oh, this restaurant I went to was terrible. You should try it. Terrible. Try it. No. It's an experience that I want you to feel as well. You to have a part in it as well. It's an excitement to it. And why do you think we get like our worship team and they get loud? This is why we two or three times a service. I'm like, hey, come on, clap your hands and let's celebrate what God's done. Because I want you to find that. You may have come in tired, worn out, exhausted. Maybe you're a little bit bored. I'm not looking at you. Maybe you're just a little bit lifeless these days. I want you to find some energy, energy in the Holy Spirit to go, you know what? Maybe everything else is not going right, but I can find some reason to celebrate. Somebody gave their heart to Jesus, two people in their first service. That's worth me celebrating. That's worth me making some noise. I saw God do something in the person I brought with me. Man, I want you to feel the enthusiasm. 
You come in the door. You get a warm welcome. Somebody has made coffee. People back there love taking care of your children. You don't even know what kind of week they may have had, but they're willing to compartmentalize that for the bigger picture and go, oh, today I get to serve the avenue and take care of your kids so you can hear Jesus. There's something about enthusiasm and excitement, but you can't live on it. It'll get you going. It's a spark. It's when you meet that somebody special and you're like, ooh, who is that? I had not seen them before. You get enthusiasm. You get excited. But you all know, in order to get to the place of marriage, you got to go from excitement to engagement. Point number two, you got to engage. And this is the place that God invites us into with miracles so that we can play a part. He wants you to engage it. He wants you to participate. He wants you to move from just being inspired to now I have a role I play as well. There's something for me to do. I can have faith. I can also lay hands on somebody. Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but the things you see me do, you will do greater in my name. That should blow your mind. You should step back from the word and look at that and go, wait a minute. Jesus just gave me permission to do the same things he was doing, healing the sick. Wow. But how do I do that? Well, it takes faith. It takes more than just excitement. It takes engagement. It takes you getting out there and saying, I will pray with you. I'd love to have the moment to share with you. I don't mind having a, a word to say to you. I'm going to engage this. I'm going to go after this. I'm going to take a step towards what God has for you in your life too. What did Jesus say? Verse 16, of, we, we kind of pulled out of Matthew's account, Matthew 14, 16. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away because the disciples are going to send them back to find some food in various ways. He said, you give them something to eat. The boys were like, we got Wendy's on our mind. Send them to the fast food joint, Jesus. We're hungry. And Jesus gave them a work order. You give them something to eat. And this world needs to see there's a God who loves them, who can provide for them, who can do only what he can do, but he's going to do it through you and me. He's going to use us as the conduit and the vessel for the miracles to happen around us. He's going to work through humans. He's going to empower us to get it done. James was Jesus' half-brother. We studied his life earlier in the year. He may or may not have been at this event. We don't know. But he went on to write this later on. He said, if somebody would say, you have work faith and I have works, he said, they'll say, show me your faith apart from your works. He said, but I will show you my faith by my works. What's he saying? He's saying, I'll show you my belief for a miracle by me working my way through it. I'm not going to sit back and relax. I'm going to show you that I believe God's going to do something great by my way I'm living my life. This is what encourages each one of us. So every time our dream team gets together and gathers around, by their works, we see their faith. Because we believe God's going to do something amazing in this space. But if nobody came early and gathered together to make it look like this, I don't believe anybody would actually have expectation that God was going to do anything at all. So when somebody gets here before dawn and opens up the building, begins to set it up, 
put up this pipe and drape, set out these chairs. Imagine if they're setting out chairs going, yeah, God, I'm setting out this chair. This is my faith by my works because I believe somebody's going to sit in this chair and you're going to speak to somebody today. They're going to hear your words of life. They're going to become changed in Jesus' name. Let me put another chair out because somebody else is going to sit here and somebody's going to sit here. We're going to play music. We're going to make a hot cup of coffee and give you a hot cup of coffee on a hot day that's supposed to be 104 degrees. Why? Because you need coffee? No, because we believe God will do something in your life because we're bringing joy your way. Come on, because we have an expectation that if we engage and play a part, God has them access to do something. Your engagement gives God, gives God access into other people's worlds. Your participation paves the way for the Holy Spirit to show up. He said, you give them something to eat. And he also wanted to measure their faith. Measure their faith. And he directed them, verse 19, to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. So they find five pieces of bread, a couple of fish, and it's amazing to me that one boy had a lunch. Now notice when they count the people, they counted 5,000 men. One account says, besides women and children. That's why we guesstimate there could have been 10, 15, 20,000 people at this event. But notice, the one person that didn't get counted was the one that Jesus was counting on. Nobody counted the little boy in their numbers. But Jesus was counting on somebody bringing a lunch. Because Jesus is trying to partner with something on the earth to work through. He said, just give me something. Just give me something to work with. And that thing in your life that you think you're discounting and God can't use, oh, God can use it. First service didn't get this. This is just for second service. The thing in your life that you're going, God, you can't use this. This is broken. This is messed up. God, you could never take this and do anything good with it. And Jesus is going, just give it to me. Just give me that part of your life. Just give me that thing in your life. Just give me that thing and I'll work it out. Because what does he do with it? He takes that thing that everybody discounts, and they look at it and go, how are you going to do anything with that, Jesus? you got thousands of people. And there's only a couple pieces of bread? What is that among so many? Stop looking at that thing in your life and going, it's broken. can't be used. That God wants to have. He takes that bread. There's five pieces. He holds it up to the heavens, and he blesses it. Oh, this is good. He blesses it because we all want to live a blessed life. We all want blessings from above. We all want God's blessing on our lives. I do. I think so do you. However, we think blessing means, blessing inwardly means bountiful outwardly. So we assume that because he blesses us, now people will see the blessings immediately. And that's not normally the way God works. God works like this. He took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. And you go through a breaking time after a blessing time and think you didn't hear from God. Think you messed up or think, God, you messed up. 
what's going on? You said you were going to bless me, and now I'm broken. You believe in God for healing. God's going to touch my body. I believe it. I got people, they prayed together. I believe it. I receive a miracle into my life. Go to the doctor, and the report's even worse. Broken. You know what? I've heard a pastor talking about tithing. I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to take him up on that 90-day tithe challenge to see if God will really do it. Get out there. Start giving one time. Get that thing set up. What's going to happen? The next week, yeah, you're probably going to have a washer machine breakdown. Car is going to get a messed up. Somehow or another, like you got a warranty on the car, and it's still some kind of effect happens to the car outside of the warranty. It's typical. This is the way life goes. Why? Because God's going to test you to see, did you really believe? Do you just want the blessing, or do you want me? Because everything points back to Jesus. So he takes his bread, and he presses it, and he breaks it. And as he breaks it too many times, we just think when we're broken, God can't use us anymore. Well, God, if I'm broken in this moment, I must have messed up. And I encourage you, if you get blessed and you go through the breaking period, hang in there and hold on. And here's why. This is why it's not a nine-day tithing challenge. It's 90. Because you got to hang in there. This is why you got to hang in there for the next report from the doctor and the next scan and next one after that. And you got to go back to counseling for your marriage and see the therapist again and again and again because you can't just go through it and go, well, I'm blessed. Everything's fixed. No, you're probably going to go through a breaking time to test you and see, will you hang in there when it gets worse? So he blesses it. He breaks it. And this is amazing. Because it's still not multiplied. And he puts it in the hands of the disciples. And he says, now distribute it and feed the people. And I wonder, like, did he break those five pieces down into a half each and somebody got a third because you can't get... How did, get did they walk along and just kind of start breaking it off and giving it to people and it just kept breaking more and more? doesn't really matter exactly how it happened. What matters is you understand that he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them, and when the miracle was in their hands is when it happened. This is the gospel in a nutshell. For God so loved the world that he gave. God is a giver. He gave his son Jesus. Jesus then gave his life. He gave his life for me. And I, if I'm not careful, if Christians are not careful, we'll think it's all about us because we're told God loved me so much he gave his son. Jesus loved me so much he gave his life. So life must be all about me because those two people, those two beings, God just gave all that he had for me. He gave all for you, but it's not about you and life is not about me. It's about him. And if you get stopped and stuck in a place of what can I get out of life? Oh, look at that. He gave me bread to eat supernaturally. I can just keep on eating this bread. And if you don't distribute it and share it, you're missing the point of the miracle. So he gives it to the the disciples. And the disciples gave it to the people because he wants engagement. 
Engagement is hard work. Engagement is passing out food when you're hungry and you're starving, but you give it to other people. Engaging is serving and setting up even when nobody knows or sees and you're not sure who's going to show up. You're willing to do it anyway. I'm going to engage this thing. I'm going to see God do something in my life. Engaging is I'm going to keep pushing through. I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to believe for that degree. I'm going to see God do something in my life. He's going to do a miracle, but I've got to keep working this thing out to control what I can. Partnering with God. Paul said this. He said in 1 Corinthians, he said, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field and God's building. That should humble us at our hearts that God would want to share with us his miracles, his blessing, and invite us into a place that we get to be co-workers with him as well. I get to share with him. I get to be a part of this thing. My excitement is here. My engagement level is up, but now I also get to be a part of what I'm doing as well. And that will lead us to step number three, my expectation. An expectation and the power of expectation can be extremely challenging. I can get excited about something. I can engage it, but I'm going to hold back true expectations. The NFL kicks off next weekend. I get excited about the Texans. I might go to a game, but I can't say I expect them to win a whole lot. Anybody. Anybody, raise your hand that you expect the Texans to win the Super Bowl. Uh, Yeah, you're not even a fan. (laughs) No, why? Because we we can take those first two steps, but that last step, that's where we draw a line. One of the biggest fans of the Texans. He watched, John watches the draft. He knows all seven rounds of who got drafted. I said, do you think they're going to win the Super Bowl? His hand didn't even go up. It went in his pocket. like, like mm. <laughs> Because expectation is really challenging because it's a reality now. Now I get myself in that position where I'm vulnerable. And expectation, oftentimes we temper it because of misexpectation. Let down expectations, false expectations, disappointments that have come our way. And we get exhausted by expecting things and they don't get met. We don't experience fulfillment of expectations and we get exhausted. So tired of holding out hope. So tired of waiting for more. So tired of believing God's going to do it. So tired of just hanging in there. If I hear one more person tell me to hang in there, hold on a little bit longer. I don't want to hear that sermon one more time. Pastor, what is expectation? Expectation is that thing that carries you from your excitement to your experience. Expectation is hope. When you experience that miracle, it's because you had a healthy expectation that you were willing to hang in there and wait and believe God for his promise until the day you saw it happen. No matter how long it was. No matter how hard it was. No matter what you had to walk through, you're willing to keep on hoping, expecting, waiting. I don't know that anybody expected those people to be fed. They saw the need, 
Jesus. People are hungry. Let them go home. Jesus. It's a long sermon, Jesus. Jesus, come on. Let's go. It's, it's getting late in the day. We're hungry. You're hungry. Let's go. And he keeps preaching and preaching and preaching. Because John, his perspective of all this, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke. John, when he wrote about it in John chapter 6, he wrote it like this. And he added these words about Jesus in verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Hey, uh, Philip, where are we going to buy food for all these people coming to eat? But he asked this to test Philip because he himself already knew what he was going to do. Jesus, why are you playing games? Why are you messing with me, Jesus? You knew the whole time you are going to do a miracle, and yet you put me on the spot, make me look stupid. You ever felt that way about God? Jesus, you knew. You knew. You ever been to a surprise party? And the person's been telling you the whole time, no party. You, know, you knew. Set me up for this. Jesus knew the entire time what he was going to do. And yet, he said this to test them to see if they expected him to do it. Maybe what's going on in your life is a test to see, do you really expect a miracle? Do you really expect that God's going to do what only God can do? There's a gap. The gap between your excitement and your experience is filled with expectation. I told you before the service, at the beginning, that long introduction, that every miracle has several things it requires. One, it requires a need. Two, it requires a faith. Three, it requires inclusion. And I can give you the fourth one. Number four, every miracle reveals Jesus. I need you to understand as we get this series going, as we plow this ground and get this thing launched, the miracles that Jesus did are not about the miracles. They're about the man. So when Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it, it's not about physically feeding people because he'd go on later in John 6 and say, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never go hungry again. And they looked at him and said, but Jesus, we ate that bread and we're hungry. And he said, yeah, you came back again because it was the next day. He said, you came back today because you got food yesterday and you're looking for another handout today. That's my version of How many Christians come to church looking for a handout? Felt good last weekend, Pastor. Felt good last weekend. Last time I was here, it's been a minute, had a lot going on. Looking for handouts. Looking for hookups. Looking for something. Looking for God just to, hey, God, I need something quick. Now I need a bite to eat. Jesus dealt with the same thing. Hey, hey, hey. Jesus, give us more of that bread. He said, if you really knew that I was the bread of life, you would never hunger again. What does that mean? It means stop shopping and looking for substance and life in every place but Jesus. Walking around, begging people for bread, asking people for bread, fame, fortune, money, addictions, looking for bread in 
all the wrong places. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The one that comes to me will never hunger again. Because he's the point of the miracle. And you fast forward all the way to the very end, just before the crucifixion. Jesus is in the upper room with his 12 disciples. Intimate moment. Peter, James, John, even Judas. And as he's in this space, in this room, he begins to have a conversation again about bread. He picks up a loaf of bread and he begins to teach them communion, the Lord's Supper. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat. And whatever you do, remember me. And I wonder how many of their minds flash back to that mountain, that side, mountainside, and thought, you remember, you remember, remember when he fed all those people? Remember when he fed all those people with that little bit of bread? Remember at the very end, we had buckets of bread? We had so much left over. He was like, hey, each one of you disciples, go get a bread. And if I was Oprah right now, I'd throw bread out and you get bread and you get bread and you get bread and I guess you get bread. There was so much bread left over. They were looking, oh, do you remember? You remember when he said that and he, he did that miracle? It was, Peter, it wasn't about us eating that day. It was about this moment right now. It was about the moment right now when he said, I am the bread of life. This is my body broken for you. Take, eat. Jesus is trying to get them to see behind every miracle you see me do. It should point back to me. I don't want to preach about miracles. I want to preach about a miracle worker. I don't do a series on miracles. I want to do a series about the God who does miracles. I'm not going to do a series where we go through and go, did you hear this amazing story about a guy who didn't have an arm and it grew back out? I'm going to tell you a story about an amazing God who made a man's arm grow back out because everything is going to point back to Jesus. Every song we sing about Jesus. Every message we preach about Jesus. When we teach your kids, we don't babysit them. We tell them about Jesus. The point to the miracle was back to Jesus. Would you stand with me? Just like Jesus, my sermon has run long this morning. And I need you to get this. I don't know where you're at. We come together and in so many different places of life, so many different things have collided in moments like these. I can't keep track of them all. I don't know them all. I don't need to know them all. I want to care about them all. But there is a God who knows them all, cares about them all, and can heal them all, has a solution for them all. So I'm going to point you to him. And I believe that in this series, as we worship the miracle-working God, as we exalt him and lift him up, we can believe and expect him to do miracles. I want to hear stories from you about the miracles you're seeing. I want to celebrate with you the goodness of God as he does a miracle in your life. 
I don't know what you were doing at 1 a.m. last night. I hope you were sleeping. I told you I'm so pumped for this series. I got out of bed and went out on my back porch. I just felt like the Holy Spirit woke me up and was like, start listing all the miracles that I've done in your life. I can't believe how many things we've overlooked and not called a miracle. And I said, God, only you could do that. Before I was even born into this world, my life was a miracle. I was told I'll never walk, I'll never talk, I won't live past three, four, five years old. They told my parents, you can just abort him now. He's never going to have a life. And God touched me in my mother's womb, and my life was a miracle to this day. I can't tell you how many times I've seen great ones and small ones over and over and over again. I've seen God do amazing things. I had a car one time. I don't even know why I'm telling this story. It wouldn't start. I took it to the automotive. It's not going to start anymore. It's broke. Whatever they, whatever was wrong with it, it's broke. That's the way I understood it to be. I'm not a mechanic. Towed it back home. God, I don't have money to fix this car. I went out to this car and laid hands on the car and said, come alive in Jesus. I, I, I don't even know what I said. Work. Be fixed. I sat down in the driver's seat and turned the engine and the car started and it ran until I gave the car away years later. I don't know how to explain it. I'm not going to try to. It's not about the car and it's not about me. It's about the guy that made the car get fixed. That's crazy, Pastor. Why tell that story? I don't know, but maybe somebody's got a car problem and you need to be encouraged that God knows your situation, knows what's going on. Maybe a doctor has told you, every report says, it's done, it's over, there's nothing we can do. There's a God who heals, there's a God who touches, there's a God who is not through yet, and if he's still working, it's still good. Every, every good gift comes from above, from the Father not done. God's not done. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Do something. Raise expectation back up in your heart. If you've given up, if you've never heard this thought before, you grew up, you're like, I don't even know what we're talking about right now. That's okay. Keep coming back. But some of y'all have lost hope and lost heart. And God is speaking resurrection power back over that thing in your life that he is going to call it back to life. And you've called it dead, that marriage. You've called that relationship gone. You've called that thing done. You've called your career over. You've called that thing finished. And God says, I'm not done yet. You've got to get your expectation back up. So I'm going to ask you to lift your hands. You're comfortable if you're not. Maybe you do it anyway this morning. I just wound up. Just get your faith up. Get your level of hope up. Get your expectation up. Get your eyes lifted up. Get your eyes on Jesus and not on the problem. And begin to lift your voice. Come on. Just get something in you that carried you through the week. Get excited right now. Get inspired right now. And believe that God can do what God said he can do.
wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, find hope. Believe again. He said, I don't have a whole lot of belief left, Pastor. I'm just about all out. That's okay. He can work with that. If he could work with two fish and five pieces of bread for thousands of people, he can work with that little bit left you have. Just give it to him. Maybe your prayer this morning is only God. I think somebody's whispering that under the breath. It would take a miracle. Only God could fix this situation. And you are absolutely and 100% correct. Only God can fix that situation. And it would take a miracle from a miracle working God. And that little bit of faith you just confessed will be the fuel take but a moment here and I only do this just to give you a moment of privacy just look inside your life maybe right now you're saying I need a miracle you've been speaking to me I need a miracle I mean, I, that's me if that's you would you just lift your hand up just across the room just lift your hand thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you, you can up and down up and down post services just hands up everywhere God you see these hands you see these hearts wide open God, I need a miracle. This church needs a miracle. God, we're plowing this ground. We're believing for buildings and lands. God, but it's going to take a miracle. We're doing our part. We're not lazy and sitting back. But we serve the miracle-working God. And we celebrate every step of the way. God, your people need miracles that only you can do. attention to see something that happened that we had overlooked and never seen before. I just encourage you guys start taking note of them. Make a list. Start jotting them down. Jesus, we thank you for what you are going to do. We're going to see Jesus lifted up and see people drawn to him. Let me talk to one more person in this room. Maybe today you say, I'm here, I'm far from God. I'd like to know what I need to do to get closer to God. That one prayer you need to pray, that one step you need to take is simply to just invite Jesus into your life. He wants to give you all the love of the Father and take all of your sin, your error, your mistake, forgive you for everything, turn your life around, and then use your life to tell others about your experience with Him. That's the whole plan. If you want to make that commitment today and say, that sounds good, that's what I want. I want to pray with you. Across this room, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand just so I know who I'm praying for. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. Together, we're going to pray this prayer across from the front to the back. Everybody. But in this moment right now, if God's speaking to you and you want to make that your decision, would you shoot your hand up so I know who I'm talking to? Across this room. Today, you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let's pray this prayer. If you're watching online, you can pray it with us. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and make me clean. 
I am your child. I am in your family. Now use my life to share this good news with others. The miracle of salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, people. Put your hands together. Celebrate. Make some noise. Get excited. God is doing some amazing things.